Well, we welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all very welcome to our worship this evening. Um, the announcements uh, are pretty straightforward. Thursday at half past seven is our midweek service. And then next Lord's Day, Sabbath school at the usual time. And then the two services, God willing, I'll be back again uh, here in the pulpit. Beloved grace and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 10 and uh, verse uh, 38 and 39 reads, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. Let us worship Almighty God. Let us call upon the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. And we read uh, the whole psalm together. To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow have found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars. O Lord of hosts, my, God, my King and my God, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing. Will he withhold from them that walk uprightly? O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Amen and amen. So the title this evening is Home Sweet Home. Psalm 100 or Psalm 84 is one of the sweetest of Psalms, I believe. Uh, and the irony is that it was written at one of the sorest times. In David's life, certainly David's the one who is believed to be the pen man behind it. The sour time of when he had to flee from Jerusalem, uh, from his son Absalom. You remember how Absalom rebelled against his father, carried favour with the people, and the father had to flee like a dog away. Uh, Behold, David says, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. 
We'll come to that in due course in the evening times. But it was a very sorry, sad, sad time in David's experience. And yet out of it, out of the lion, out of the eater came honey. Uh, and that's what this psalm very much is. We see something of the desirableness of God's house in the first part of it, in verses 1 to 4. That, that word desirable uh, can be understood in three different ways. Desirable can mean adorable. A desirable can be something that you desire, something that you aspire for, or aspire to. And it can also be something which is advantageous. It's desirable. Adorable, aspiring, and advantageous. And each of those three uh, things are to be found in the four uh, verses here. The adorableness of God's house is what greets us in the hallway of it. David says in verse 1, How amiable or how lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. He speaks about the tabernacles being lovely. There only was one tabernacle. There wasn't two or three or four. There was just one tabernacle. But he speaks about tabernacles. And it seems to be that David is considering the tabernacle in all of its different parts, all the different courts of it, all the different compartments of it, everything which went together to make up the tabernacle. And he refers it on to the plural, tabernacles. There wasn't any part of it which wasn't lovely to David. All of the house of God in all of its compartments, every pen of the tabernacle was lovely to him, was amiable to him. Everything had been patented by God and so it was lovely to him. And yet, if a stranger had have turned up uh, at this tabernacle or at this house, uh, having heard what David said about it, he might think, well, well, where is this place that David's talking about? I don't see anything which is particularly amiable. I don't see anything which is particularly lovely. Remember, this is a time before Solomon had built the temple. So all you really would have discovered was a tent, albeit a glorified tent. But to the trained eye, as David's eye was, his eye was trained by faith. And no doubt, David looked up upon the tabernacle in the light of the shadows and the prophecies and the promises which are contained in the Old Testament. And he saw in the temple the type of him who was the true temple of God or the true tabernacle of God. He saw in the tabernacle its loveliness because he saw in it something of God's uh, tabernacling with man. And we saw him, which John talked about. In other words, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, the fact that the tabernacle was a type of the Messiah, of David's greater son, 
which made it lovely to him, which made it amiable to him. Now, I think it's fair to say that there's few more lovely churches than Kell's Waters. The setting here. Uh, the riverside, uh, the birds just sat down the banks off the main road. There's just something lovely about, about this site. Something quaint about even the meeting house. And the meeting house just complements the scenery all around us. But it's not that, of course, which makes it amiable or lovely. But it's the people, isn't it? It's ye also as lively stones built up into a spiritual house. Jesus Christ, even the chief cornerstone of the Lord. It's that, it's us and him which renders this meeting house, this site, as altogether lovely. It's Christ with his people which makes it Bonnie Kells Water. Apparently there's a song. If John was here, I probably could sing it to you. Bonnie Kells Water. It's us and Christ which makes us a bonnie spot in the whole of the province. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we look at each other and we see the cracks in each other's faith. We see the subsidence. We see parts in our own lives and in our brothers and sisters' lives which need pointed. There's things falling away and crumbling which shouldn't be crumbling and so forth. But really we should see each other as we really are. The dwelling place of God. God with us. Uh, and the dwelling place of God is with me. Here in, in Kells Water. Jesus Christ the foundation. How amiable are our tabernacles. Because know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And that the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us and among us. It wouldn't make a difference if we moved over to that wee thundering end of an outhouse across the way there. Even if we bang on the worship over there each Lord's Day, it wouldn't make a difference. We would still be as amiable and as lovely as we are here. Because of who we are in, in Jesus Christ. So there's something amiable about God's house. And there's something also desirable about the temple or the tabernacle that David also brings out here in verse 2. Something that he uh, aspired to. The idea of aspire to. Desirable in that sense. He says in verse 2, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. He was removed, remember, from Jerusalem. He was homesick for God's house. The absence of it made his heart grow all 
the fonder. So it wasn't even the estrangement that he had with his son Absalom that made him put pen to paper. It wasn't that there was a separation, a breach between himself and his own flesh and blood which made him put pen to paper. It was the fact there was an estrangement between him and God's house, a separation between him and the tabernacle which bothered him the most, which concerned him the most, which made him say, my soul longs. Not my soul longs that I might be reconciled to my son, although he did want that. But more than that, my soul longs, faints for the courts of the Lord. The word longeth, or the word long here is in the intensive Hebrew form. It's really just David saying, my, my soul deeply longs. Deeply longs. He's saying, I vehemently desire for the courts of the Lord. Uh, he was even fainting for them. As he says elsewhere, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul pants after the Lord. Pants after the courts of the Lord. He goes on to say in that same, in that same verse, my, uh, in verse 2, My flesh cries out for the living God. Now during COVID, we can still remember COVID unfortunately, but it's not how we felt as God's people. Something we missed just coming. I mean, you couldn't even compare sitting in your house if you, if you were on Zoom or whatever, which we didn't have the capacity for. But you couldn't even compare something like Zoom or listening to a sermon online. It, it didn't even come remotely close to, to what we're able to do the last couple of years here. Uh, we missed God's house. We longed for it. We, we cried for it. We fainted for it. I still remember uh, some of your faces. The first Sabbath day we came back into the meeting house again. And I still remember some of the things that some of you said to me. That was great. It wasn't because it was a great sermon. It was just, you were just so glad to be back in God's house. I remember somebody else saying, I needed that today. I really needed that. And there was others who said similar things. They were just saying exactly the same thing that David had said. They had longed, they'd missed, they'd fainted. And now they were back again. Homesickness for God's house is the healthiest of all ailments to catch. And it has... As a, a sickness, it has symptoms all of its all of its own. Symptoms, well, maybe it could make it. All right, maybe we were sick. Maybe there was something else going, and you say, well, uh, uh, maybe I could still make it. Uh, maybe I should give it a try. Maybe I'll be okay when I get in. Maybe I'd feel better when I was in. You've all done that. 
Some men look for excuses not to go to church when they when there are none, when they could be there, when they could be there, and they look for excuses not to go. But there are other men who look for excuses why to go when probably they shouldn't be there because they're just onto the weather. They look for excuses. Well, maybe you could. Maybe you should. I don't think I'm flattering the congregation in Kells Water when I say that I found a congregation, I believe, who have a heart like David's heart. There's not a, there's a number, a good number, most actually, who, if they're not here on a Lord's Day, right away I'm thinking there's something wrong with that person. Right away I'm thinking they're either sick or else they're dead almost. Or there's somebody dead in the house. Because you're just a part of the furniture. If they're not in the house, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. The long for God's house. The mess not being to it. And some of you have shown that over, over many years. Having a, um, seeing that which is amiable about God's house and also possessing an aspiration to always be found in God's house is a better call to worship each Sabbath than any twin belfry bells ringing out. All the bells that we need to cause to come and worship on a Lord's day is just knowing that God's house is lovely and I want to be there. And the truth of the matter is, why wouldn't you want to be there? Why wouldn't you want to be there? Because as David says in verse 3, it's the house of the living God. He says, yea, uh, or at the end of verse 2, it's, he cries out for the living God. It's not just that we're coming to meet with each other, which is part and parcel of it, but, but the living God is there. The creator, almighty God, is there. Now it's true, of course, that because God is infinite, his, his center is everywhere. God's center is everywhere. But at the same time, uh, his special presence, we know, is with where the two and threes are gathered together. Uh, we used to have a bird bath in a house years ago, and it was, oh, it was, it said something about uh, on the stones, something about, uh, I can find God in the garden, I can find God, something silly in a sense. I can thank God in the garden. I can thank God in the hills. Something like this. And that was true. You can't thank God in the garden. And you can't thank God on top of the hills. Of course you can. But that misses the point. Because you can't thank God in the garden. And you can't thank God uh, in the hills. The same way that you can find him here at worship. It's a, it's a special presence which is promised to be here. 
where the ordinance of worship are. And they're nowhere else to be found. Not in the garden. Not in the hills. Or anywhere. Where the ordinances of worship are administered. Because in the ordinances of worship. What we're doing. All the elements of worship. uh, God has peculiarly placed something of his glory. In the ordinances of worship. The ordinances of worship are a wee bit like a looking glass. Where we see something of the glory of God. We meet with the living God through the mediator. God is manifest to his people through the mediator. But the mediator comes to us, as it were, through the ordinance of worship. He's discovered to us as the prophet in the, in the word of God read and preached. He discovers himself to us as the priest in our prayers. He discovers himself as the king in our praises. He discovers himself as our redeemer in the sacraments. In the sacraments. This is spiritual worship. Where do we look for God in the church? We look for him in the ordinances of the gospel. Matthew Henry writes and says, Ordinances are empty things if we meet not with God in them. God in Christ is in them if we have eyes to see. And a heart to long after. We see something of the living God in the face of Jesus Christ. In, the, in that mirror. We see darkly. But then we'll see him face to face. But we have these for the time being. And you can't get them in the garden. And you can't get that in the mountain. And you can't get it at home ever, actually. It's only when we're gathered like this. So there's the desirableness of God's house. It was amiable. And there was something which was aspired David to be there. And also there was something <coughs> that David says was advantageous to be found in God's house. It was to his advantage. He speaks about the little birds. These are lovely verses. Yea, the sparrow, in verse 3, the sparrow have found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. David was far removed from the tabernacle. And he thought about the wee birds, the fowls of the air, and how uh, fortunate they were. That they were able, the sparrows and the swallows, just to come and go from God's house as much as they wanted. There was nothing 
or anyone to stop the swallows and the sparrows coming and going from God's house. Nothing to stop them from building a nest there and rearing their little ones there. And he was jealous of the little, of the little birds. They build their nests and they raise their young at thine altars. At thine altars. It seemed as if they weren't sparrows or they weren't swallows, but they were more like owls. They were wise to dwell in the altar and bring up their young there. Now, we're not to imagine that David meant that that's actually what happened at the altar. Because the altar was, wasn't for sparrows and swallows to rest on, but it was for bulls and goats to rest on. It's possible that David may have been thinking, and certainly it's true whether he was or not, thinking about those, the Levites, the priests, who were able to live around the tabernacle, whose homes, whose, whose livings were in the tabernacle, who, who always served in the tabernacle all the day long. The, the point simply is, uh, David reckoned on, the, on, the, uh, on how the advantage, the blessedness of the person who lived and moved and had their being at the altar. Not just at the temple, the tabernacle, but especially at the place of sacrifice, which is what he focuses on. Those who nested and reared their young at that place where guilt for sin was transferred to a substitutionary atonement. To that place, which was a type of the cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Whenever you and I rest or nest and bring up our young under the eaves of the cross, we're like doves. Maybe not swallows or sparrows, but we're like doves. This morning, we did that very thing. We nested and brought up our young, as it were, onto the altar of the Lord's table. There were some, some crumbs left out for, some breadcrumbs out to feed the wee birds this morning. I actually thought about it when I was driving home because all the, all the bread that's left over from the Lord's table, we always take it home every communion season and uh, I give it to the birds uh, out the back, floating top of the boiler house roof and, and they, the wee birds get what's left over. Something appropriate about that. The wee birds have come and they've taken the crumbs of the Lord's table and then the other birds come and they get what's left over. It's nice. God's house and even the Lord's table for that matter 
is only advantageous to us if, we're, if we've come and are building our lives and building our homes onto the cross, raising our little ones there under its shadow, under its truth, under its protection, year of more value than many sparrows, and to dwell under the cross. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? Uh, uh, it's where God meets with us, where the cross is, where Christ crucified is preached. And I'm sure the psalmist at this point, as a matter of fact, we know that he would have us to think about this, just to pause and reflect about the desirableness of God's house. Because he uses that word at the end of verse 4, Selah. Just take a moment to meditate upon how amiable God's house says, how much we ought to aspire to it, and also just how advantageous it is to us and to our families. <coughs> and then he goes on in verse 5 to the end. And there's a journey now to God's house that he has in view. Here is a pilgrim psalm, almost you might say. Not everybody was able to get to God's house on a regular basis. Uh, many of the Jews live far away in other the remote parts of, of Judah or the remote parts of Israel. And they had to make that long wearisome trek up to Jerusalem to the feast days three times uh, in the year. And it's these pilgrims that David has uh, in view in verse 5 when he speaks about the pilgrim's heart. He says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways of them. Uh, David says, Blessed is the man who has a pilgrim's heart, whose, whose ways to the house of God are in him, are in him. It was the command of the Lord which caused men to lay aside their plows and their hoes and leave their homes and make that trek three times a year up to Jerusalem and to the tabernacle or temple on an arduous and long journey. But under the gospel, the command is no less compelling. We're commanded to come up to God's house. But not just three times a year. But all times in the year. The elders ring the bells. Every Sabbath day. Enter uh, his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Come into his courts. That's the bells ringing. So, so the command to come and worship was out every Lord's day now. Uh, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's so much more for us to come because it's so much more convenient. We have a house on every street corner, certainly in our part of the world. Blessed are the man whose ways are in thee. He says in verse 4, Blessed are they that dwell in thee. 
Blessed is the man who is planted in God's house. Church attendance is not something you do on a voluntary basis. It's something we're commanded to do. But it's, a, it's one of those commands which is not burdensome to us. Here's a, a, a light yoke that we take upon ourselves when we come converted. Whose heart and whose heart are the ways of them. Pilgrim heart. But there's also a sense in which even if there was no divine necessity to go to God's house on a weekly basis, there is a human necessity we need as Christians. It's necessary for us to be in God's house. In verse 5a, he says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. These worship ordinances this morning, what are they tonight as well? We call them means of grace. They're strengthening ordinances. We come and we are strengthened. We come to be edified, the whole body to be edified. So we came this morning. And what happened this morning? Well, we had wine. What does it do? It makes the heart of man glad. And we had bread. What does that do? It strengthened men's hearts. And we had oil. The Holy Spirit. To make our faces shine. Blessed is the man whose strength. Is in thee. In God's house. Under God's ordinances. That's where we get our strength. We're not going to be strong Christians. We're going to be weak Christians. If we're not regular. In these things. We just don't go up because God says so. We go up because we need so. Didn't we all feel it at COVID time? Did any of us come out of it feeling strong? Parts of the journey. Up to Jerusalem. Were going to be difficult. David speaks in verse 6. About those who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. Passing through the valley of Baca en route to the tabernacle. That word Baca can have two different meanings. Depends how you understand it. It can refer to the mulberry tree or bush, is it, which grows apparently in desert. You find the mulberry apparently in arid places. So the pilgrims would oftentimes have to pass through dry places. Arid places on way to Jerusalem. The word Baca can also mean the place of weeping. So if David says pilgrims sometimes on their route to Jer Jerusalem will have to go through the valley of weeping, the valley of mourning, the valley of sadness, before they arrive. It's probably the former. It's probably uh, going through dry parts. I was going to speak about water in a wee moment. But either way, whether it's through dry times, 
or through wet times. Whatever particular valley of Baca it is. Whatever difficult times it is. You and I know them very well. To get out to God's house. We have known both understandings of Baca. There's been times when your soul is being so dry. So arid. When your affections for the things of God were just almost like a desert. That it was hard to get yourself out the church. Do you not think I have that sometimes when I'm coming into the pulpit? I find it hard sometimes to come into the pulpit. The dryness, a barrenness, an aridness, a baca. And we say sometimes, well, uh, there's no point in going because my heart wouldn't be in it. Or other occasions, perhaps something was troubling us. Uh, we were distracted about something in the home. Or we were upset about something. And we were, we were mourning and weeping, you might say, in heaviness. And we say, I couldn't go the way I feel this morning. My mind just wouldn't be in it. My heart wouldn't be in it, or my mind wouldn't be in it. We've all woken up on Lord's Day mornings, feeling ourselves to be one or the other, or else sometimes even both. My heart wouldn't be in it. I just feel dry, I feel desert, I feel distant, I don't feel any warmth at all. I feel distracted, I feel distressed. I just can't go out. But David says, blessed is the man. Happy is the man who passes through the valley of Baca. Who, whether come rain or come shine, whether dryness or weeping, blesses the man who says, I'm going. I'm commanded to go and I need to go. Because he goes on to say, doesn't he? Because when you do, the Lord, he finds that there's that the rain fills the pools. There's a sound of abundance of rain in God's house. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. There's streams in the desert when you're feeling like a mulberry tree or bush. There's the oil of joy for mourning. There's a garment of praise for the spirit of Baca, of heaviness. Somebody has said, no misery can be so great, no estate so barren, but a godly heart can make it a well out of which to draw forth water to comfort. The pilgrim's nose is like the horse's nose. Be able to scent the smell of the water of life. And so passing through, they go, as verse 7 says, from strength to strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Even when the ewes are fainting. And you know something about it. Some of you who 
have passed through the valley of Baca, whatever way you understand it. It's provoked the rest of us when we've seen you. When we have watched some of you hobble into church, hobbling physically, or we've watched some others hobbling in emotionally, others watching on knowing what you've come through to get here have got strength from that. Somebody said to me just last week, actually, about some of the older folk. They said, well, it's one of the younger ones. And they said, you know, think it, uh, in a church where there's a lot of older people, it's a disadvantage. And the, and the person said, it's not a disadvantage. We have, we have watched some of the older folk hobbling in, physically or emotionally. And it's been a strength to us. It's been an encouragement to us. It's provoked us. It's a good example for us. It's good that the person spotted that. David goes on in verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah, behold, our God is a shield. Just going on to verse 9. He's David's praying now. Praying. That the Lord would, would hear him. And he would bring him to place again. He said in verse 9. Look upon the face of thine anointed. David saying to the Lord in prayer. Lord you anointed your servant. By the hand of Samuel. To be king. But not just to be king. But to be king in Jerusalem. The place where you appointed. But Lord I'm not in Jerusalem am I? I'm away from Jerusalem. But that's where your anointed king should be. Your anointed king should be in Jerusalem. You see, David recognized that he was a type of God's anointed king. And the God's anointed king. He says to the Lord, look upon the face of thine anointed. Not just David's face really. But look upon the face of thine anointed Messiah king. Look upon his name. For his sake, for Messiah's sake, restore your servant to where I should be. We can never properly pray, Lord, look upon me. It's always, Lord, look upon him and bless me or prosper me. It's because God looks upon the face of his son. That he was able to go on to say that he gives us grace and he gives us glory. And that no good thing does he withhold from them that walk his way. It's for Christ's sake, his anointed sake, that grace and glory and good things have been given to you today, beloved. Is it all worth it? Is it worth it to come out on a cold February evening when you could be at home in front of the fire? Well, David says it all when he says in verse 10, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. A thousand years even 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather, as Matthew Henry says, I'd rather be a porter in God's house than a prince in a palace. Blessed is the man that trusteth in me. Amen. Let us stand and pray.